Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Natalie Kaminsky, the CEO of Jet Rockets. While you might not be too familiar with the name of the company, Jet Rockets, what I wanted to highlight in this story is what Natalie did in the face of so much challenge. When Russia invaded Ukraine, she did something pretty unbelievable. She helped 46 of her Russian engineers, plus their spouses and children, safely relocate out of the country. In the first days of the war, Natalie realized their Russian employees were in physical danger because of their association with an American company. They feared that the Russian police might suspect employees of anti-Russian sentiment. They could be arrested, their bank account shut down. Where other tech companies have abandoned their employees in the region, Natalie helped every single person who wanted to relocate to get out safely. She's also dedicated significant effort to hiring tech talent based in the Ukraine, many of whom have been left unemployed by the war. I love this story because it has both a short-term crisis leadership angle and also the longer term, what does emotional labor at work really mean for leaders? Her leadership style comes from her personal story, which I can't wait for you to hear. Take a listen. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So I would love to kind of go over your early years before entering the tech industry. You know, what were you doing and what got you interested in technology? Well, I started pretty young. So, you know, I wasn't doing much but growing up. So let me tell you a bit about that story. Yeah. Um, I was born in the Soviet Union, um, in the Russian part of the Soviet Union, in a city called Norilsk, which if you look it up, it's the most northernmost city in, um, I think, in the entire European continent, <laughs> you know, that actually has some sort of uh, sizable population. Uh, wow. So I was born there, and um, within a year, my parents uh, relocated to a somewhat warmer climate in um, in Ukraine. So I spent maybe seven or eight years of my life kind of, you know, growing up in Ukraine in the city of Dnipro. And then when I was about nine or ten years old, my mother and I, we moved to Israel where all the formative years of my life really took place. So, you know, I was growing up in Israel. I was skipping school, going to the beach, being a normal teenager, um, enjoying life in Israel. It was quite a, an amazing place to come of age. I, f- I forgot to mention that my parents got divorced when I was about six. And so when I turned 18, my father kind of reappeared in my life. And at that time, he was living in the United States. And he said, why don't you come and live with me? And you can go to college and I can help you. And, you know, he was doing quite well financially. And it it sounded like a great opportunity. And my mother was very excited about it, more so than I was, quite frankly, because I, you know, I I loved living up, like growing up and living in Israel. And I had my entire life kind of scripted ahead of me. You know, I was about to join the army, which is compulsory service in Israel for both men and women. And yeah. then I kind of planned that once I, you know, go through the army service, I will go and maybe study, maybe not. I kind of wasn't sure what I was going to do, but instead I ended up in Minnesota, of all places, <laughs> at the age of 18, kind of trying to get to know my father uh, and his family. And I must say that that didn't quite work out. You know, I was 18 years old. I was pretty opinionated uh, and my father was also a difficult person 
to to get to know and to kind of try and build our life together. So that did not last very long. Um, so I, you know, at that point when I came to America, my mother suspected somewhat that I may have problems <laughs> kind of getting getting along with my father. So I had an open a ticket, a return ticket with an open date which back then, and it was 1998, it was a possibility. You could purchase a ticket with an open return date. And I had one year. And I said to myself, you know, I have a return ticket. If things, if I cannot make this work for me on my own here within the next nine months, I'm just going to go back home, you know, back to Israel. But, um, you know, life happened. So I met a few people who were working within the IT industry and the year was 1998. And I don't know if you recall, but we were supposed to all vanish uh, due to Y2K, which was a big deal. And, um, you know, the year 2000 was coming and people did not know what's going to happen and whether or not computers will be able to survive and computer programs will be able to survive the switch from 1998 to 2000. I mean, 1999 to 2000. And... Um, I was able to get a job within the IT industry. That's how I kind of fell into, into IT. And clearly we didn't disappear or evaporate. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so how did you, how did you sort of navigate the industry is probably, I'm assuming one, uh, a lone female, you know, you're yes. now the C- CEO of an incredible incredibly large company. And so how did you sort of navigate your path through that? And what hurdles did you encounter along the way? Oh, wow. That's, that's a loaded question, right? But um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So 1998, uh, it was relatively easy to get a job in IT. Like I said, it was Y2K and there was plenty abundance of jobs, rewriting computer software and all you had to do really was claim that you knew how to program and you were pretty much being hired on the spot. So that kind of worked well for me. What was a bit more difficult is that within the first six months or so, I realized that I was not a programmer material at all. You know, I love the concept of using technology. I completely fell in love with the concept of being able to build software products that solve very real issues, you know, problems, um, business or life or otherwise. I loved that idea, but I knew that I did not want to be a programmer. So I spent the next 10 years of my kind of corporate life before founding Jet Rockets, trying on various hats within the software development life cycle. So um, I started out as a programmer. I switched to QA engineer. I switched to database administrator. Uh, I even was like a webmaster at some point, you know, and then moved to project management and basically even system administrator for a very short period of time. And every every role that I took came with its own sets, sets of challenges because at that time, and quite frankly, there's still some of that happening today, even, you know, 20 odd years later. Certain roles are considered more female roles than others, right? So <laughs> you unfortunately still see that, you know, when it comes to quality assurance testing or project management, women tend to be a lot more representative within those roles than, let's say, a system architect or a DevOps engineer, 
you'll see a lot more male in those types of roles. And I kind of had an interesting um, mixture of both in my in my resume and kind of, you know, that was way before the Me Too movement and, you know, all the uh, great advances that took place since that time. But I, I, I must say that you kind of learn to work around that system. I remember being the only you know, woman in the room. And mind you, I was maybe 23 or 24 at the time. So not only a female, but also a very young female in the room filled with, you know, 40 plus something um, engineers sitting and making decisions on how to do one thing or another for the product we were developing. And I don't know, maybe it's something about my personality or in general, I've always kind of had good, close relationship with you know, even even growing up, I think I had more friends who were male than female, but I kind of fit in, you know, somehow. But it was also challenging because sometimes I did experience certain ways that people looked at me, you know, certain ways that they would, I would feel that, oh, I'm making a suggestion, but it's being completely discarded. So that that took some time to overcome and that took some time for me to learn to voice my opinion in a stronger and more confident voice. Yeah. But at that time I did not view these as um, hurdles. I viewed these situations as learning opportunities. And where do you think that came from? Because so many people that I speak to or, you know, young women do see it as a hurdle or a setback and then eventually either give up or feel like it'll never change. So where do you attribute that mindset to? Well, you know, I um, it's probably not going to sound very humble of me, but I think it comes just from my personality, right? I mean, I pretty much, the way I grew up, I pretty much had to rely on my own from a very young age. We, you know, we moved quite a bit. Like I mentioned, we moved three different countries as I was growing up. In my 12 years of primary education, I've switched nine schools. And I kind of learned to find my way and be very flexible and adaptable. And I could really only always rely upon myself. So any hurdle I kind of came across, I'm like, okay, well, we just got to work with it, you know, find our way around it. What can I do? to overcome this particular difficulty or another. You know, I, it was just not, it has never been in my kind of head of tricks to try and find an outside force that prevents me from doing something. You know, it's either I want to accomplish it or I do not want it hard enough. Let me venture to ask you this. You know, I feel like if you have people that grow up in America, the hardships faced are nothing compared to where you grew up and and what you've had to deal with. And I wondered, you know, does it put it in perspective a little <laughs> you bit? Know, I have, yes. And, you know, thank you for asking, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I have I have two daughters. My older one is 16 years old and my younger one is eight. And they have a very different life than I right. did, right? <laughs> and they were born in the United States, in New York, and, you know, they're very privileged in many ways. Yeah. And yes, I must agree with you that what I sometimes see that they're struggling with, I'm like, I have to stop myself and not react in my natural 
kind of way of reacting, I'd be like, oh, come on, it's nothing, you know, almost like dismissing them. And I have to constantly remind myself that, look, this would have been nothing for you, but it's a big deal to them. So you got to respect it and you got to help them through this challenge. But yes, I think, I think being able to put things into perspective is very important. And I think one, one way of being able to do so is through travel. So, you know, in my family, we kind of joke sometimes is that we spend all of our money on travels, <laughs> but we travel a lot and we, we go to different places and we take our kids with us all the time. And part of that reason is I want them to see how people live around the world and I want them to appreciate their level of privilege that they have and hopefully being able to recognize that certain things that they attribute a lot of importance to are not as important. I love that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So one thing I wanted to highlight, which was really, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to bring you on is when Russia invaded Ukraine, um, you did something pretty unbelievable. And I would love for you to talk about that. You know, obviously everyone on their Instagram feed threw up a support Ukraine and that was the extent of their activism. You probably went the furthest of anyone I've spoken to. So would love for you to share that what you did and how everyone is doing now. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing this topic. It's very important and it's very real and it's still, you know, we're still doing everything we can to support Ukraine. Um, So prior to February, 2022, our development center was based in Russia and it happened. So just, you know, was never planned. I, I met my business partner a few, uh, about 12 years ago, and he lived in Russia at the time. And when we decided to start their business, Jet Rockets, it was kind of mutually agreed upon that, hey, we can do it here in Russia. It's going to be a little bit more affordable, and we can also try and give back. And, you know, we've had um, 
a lot of different programs going on within our organization that kind of benefited the local community as well in Russia with the hopes of promoting, you know, our values of doing business, our values of democracy in those places outside of Moscow specifically. So when the war began, you know, it took us about, you know, less than a week, quite frankly, to realize uh, that this is not a one or two day conflict like many people felt at the time we we saw we saw the propaganda firsthand we spoke to people um in russia we knew what was you know what what was going on and what was happening so we immediately knew that we had to do something and um there were three main reasons for our decision to relocate all of our employees out of russia and to seize all business activities within that country and reason number one of course we were fearing for the safety and the well-being of our employees. You know, Jet Rockets really prides itself on the way that we treat our employees. Uh, companies like ours often get bad rap and, um, you know, thought of as sort of these sweatshops for programmers, right? But uh, this is not true for Jet Rockets. Jet Rockets has always, from day one of when we founded the organization, it has always been about a place where people wanted to work. It has always been about employee well-being and um, kind of this place where not only do we build awesome software products, but we also help each other grow as individuals. And uh, so we immediately said, okay, we have to protect our people. And we were protecting them, you know, because we did not know when mobilization must might happen. And it, of course, as, as we know today, it didn't really occur until September, this past September, but still, you know, it could have happened any moment. So we needed to get our people out. Um, second reason was, even though we never had a client in Russia, and we have always been a U.S.-based organization for all intents and purposes, we paid salaries to people who lived in Russia, which meant that they would be spending their money in the Russian economy. And we did not want to contribute any amount of money, no matter how small it was, towards the war chest. And to me, it was a matter of principle, and it was a matter of I don't want to have anything to do with Russia. It's not just from the perspective of putting something cool on social media, right? But it, it was really something that meant a lot to me. Look, my, my sister lives in Dnipro, my older sister and her two children. And we speak quite often and, you know, I firsthand experience the horrors of everyday airstrikes. We have plenty of employees who work for Jet Rockets who have relatives or friends or loved ones who live in Ukraine. And we also have several employees who are still in Ukraine. And we knew immediately that no matter how small and negligent that amount might be, you know, from the standpoint of billions and billions of dollars that I guess they're spending on this war, we did not want to be part of it, even if it meant just, just a little teardrop in the ocean. And um, those were the two main reasons that we immediately set out on this completely unknown territory of <laughs> relocating everyone, getting them out of Russia and setting up a new place of work and life for our, our employees. And it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't easy. It was a very challenging process that continues to this date. Uh, I'm happy to report that about three quarters of our employees at that time were able to join us and left Russia. Some people decided did to stay behind for various reasons, primarily reasons that had to do with, you know, 
unable to leave their elderly parents or maybe their pets or animals, you know, who knows, but people have their reasons and I don't judge them. But um, unfortunately we had to part ways with every person who decided to stay behind. And we took care to the best of our abilities of those who decided to come with us. We helped them not only with getting their tickets, you know, kind of, and passports were needed, but also helping them find place to leave, you know, covering expenses associated with moving their, their stuff, again, covered their living expenses for the first month or so. Uh, we had to bump everyone's salaries because, you know, the cost of living in Georgia, for instance, or Turkey is much more significant than it is in Russia. So we, we, did, we did all we could. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, as we were going through that process, one thing that never occurred, like one, one question I never asked, how much is this costing us? It was just part of, you know, to me at that moment, it was just, look, we got to do it. I don't care how much it costs. We're going to do as much as we can and we'll just figure it out later. So, you know, nine months into that process, we, we now have a beautiful office space in Batumi. It's a beautiful coastal city in Georgia that houses about 40-something engineers. We also have uh, 20 or somewhat people in Tbilisi, which is the capital of Georgia. And I'm hoping to have another op- office open up there um, early 2023. And we also have um, a handful handful of people around the world who decided that they did not want to go to Georgia for some reason, but they decided to stay Turkey or Kazakhstan or Serbia. And again, with those folks, we're also trying to do our best to help them and to keep them connected to the rest of the organization and help them set up their new lives. None of this would have been possible without the support of our clients who were extremely, extremely patient with us as we were going through this process. And also, it wouldn't be possible without the loyalty of our employees who kind of trusted in us and took that leap. It's very difficult to leave your entire life behind, pack two suitcases, get on a plane and go somewhere, (laughs) you know. What would you say to people who freeze about going above and beyond, you know, just posting, posting something or donating a little bit of money, which is a great thing. You know, what would you say to really lean into issues people care about? Well, I guess the saying goes is put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. (laughs) Start with that. I mean, I know plenty of companies and of course I'm not going to name any names, but I know plenty of companies that are similar to us who either, decided to let go of their staff in Russia because they said, oh yeah, I'm not going to support Russia. So I'm just going to fire every single person who made me money over the past 10 years, which is not a very nice thing to do, I would imagine. But also I know companies who decided not to make any changes and they're kind of like, oh, well, it's a war, it's politics, whatever. It shouldn't affect our business. And to them specifically, I say shame on you because guess what? If a company my size can afford doing this, so can you. Yeah. For sure. Um, Is there anything I should have asked you about that I didn't? There's so much I'm always willing to share and and, and talk. But um, one thing I'd love to add is looking back at my career and looking back at my kind of entrepreneurial journey, I I often get asked, you know, 
what would you say to people who want to start the business or, you know, jump into this unknown world of entrepreneurship? And I always say, don't wait too long. <laughs> I almost, I, I almost regret having to wait 10 years. And on the one side, I completely understand that it gave me the opportunity to become really good and knowing the business of software development so well that I could pretty much do any type of function within that. But on the other hand, I feel like, you know, I had these 10 years that I could have been building a stronger organization. Who knows, right? <laughs> so I, I always say, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And would you say that to, you know, again, you know, in, in talking to so many entrepreneurs, and I, I never know what the right answer is here. It's, should I quit my job? Should I start my business? And I'm like, if you can afford to, yeah. But, you know, make your make your job work for you until you've built your business up enough. And so just curious. Your Absolutely. You know, when I started my business, I I was already married and I had one daughter. But at that time, my husband wasn't making enough money to support the two of us or right. well, rather the three of us. <laughs> yes. But um and that's why I say start start early. <laughs> start start your business when you when you don't need to support family, right? If if you yeah. can, if you're inclined to do so, because you can you can afford, you know, living below your needs once in a while, right? Like uh, kind of you know being frugal for a while. When you have a family, it becomes a lot more complicated. So by all means, if you have a family and you need to support your family, then like you said, make your job support your life while you're kind of preparing for your business to take off. But we all know that if you're truly passionate about what you do while also being smart about it, then the money will follow. Yeah, totally. So one thing I like to ask all my guests is what would we be surprised to know about you? Oh my God. I, you know, I listened to a few of your episodes and yes, I knew this was coming and I actually tried <laughs> to prepare to answer this question. And I, I, I even asked my husband and a couple of my friends <laughs> and it was very difficult decision. So, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that, uh, I became a runner after the age of 40. I picked up running. Wow. Yes. And I never thought, and I think this is more surprising to me, quite frankly, than anybody else. But I never thought myself to be able to enjoy the process of running and the hard work that comes with it and this, you know, sometimes grueling miles that I put in and I do long distance running. But I've learned so much about myself and about my business. And I feel that I became a much better leader and a business owner through that process of running long distance. I love running. I was going to say, no, I, uh, I wish I could run. I can't right now, but once I'm able to get back, I, I feel you on, on how therapeutic it can be. It's very therapeutic, but it's also, I think, very revealing on how you react and how you teach yourself to be less reactive and more, or at least I do, right? It's sometimes you run and then it get, gets really tough and you could stop at any moment. Nothing prevents you from stopping, yet somehow you still continue to run. And I all, all often equate this to kind of building your business. It's a marathon, right? So at times it gets really, really tough. And you could, in theory, stop at any moment, go get yourself a job and feel better. At that 
very moment, but you also know that if you continue and you kind of persevere and you kind of get through that hurdle, you might catch the second wind, right? And then you'll feel better. And <laughs> I, I often remind about this. Yeah. And when, when, when things get tough with the business or any decisions that I have to make, I often go on the run. I love that. And my last question for you is, what is a piece of advice you would love to pass on that you either learned the hard way or someone gave to you that was actually helpful? Yes. You know, this is interesting. This question, I often get asked this question, as I'm sure everybody else. And I love how my answer changes from time to time because I learn more and more, right? So today I'm going to say that empathy is your best friend and leading. If you are a leader, no matter how large your team, right, you may be a leader within your family or your organization or your group of friends. Leading with empathy is a feature and not a bug, as we say in our IT world. And being kind and being open-hearted and empathizing with people will get you much better results than trying to rule through, like, you know, hard rule. So as you go on your journey and as you grow and professionally and otherwise, don't let, don't lose that empathy that we all have. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on here. Thank you for what you did for your team and being brave. And in spite of all the hurdles that hit you or that, you know, reasons you were given no, I think it's incredibly inspiring. So thank you for actually being someone that did something about it. I appreciate it so much. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to share our story. And hopefully, you know, somebody else will hear it and get inspired and do something similar. <laughs> yes. I, um, you know, I ha- it was ironic because as all this was going on, you know, internally, we have these dialogues. What should we do? I said, I refuse to post any more on social, unless we're doing something meaningful, I would rather not say anything, you know, and I feel, uh, you know, when you watch people actually put their money where their mouth is, it, it, it is truly transformative. And what you did is an incredible example of that. So thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your kind words. It means a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again, and you will hear from me next week.